want to invite the rest of you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to the Apostle John, the English Standard Version uh, translation, but you can look at whatever one you'd like to. So we're going to be in the eighth chapter of John today. To introduce the chapter and our engagement with Jesus and, and listening to him and how he thinks and how he goes about things and the promises he makes to us, I want to start by... Um, Getting you to think about a billboard that I saw the other day. Maybe you've seen it. I've seen it in different places uh, in the United States along the interstate or freeways. Uh, it's some kind of depiction of Jesus. And it says something, uh, as I recall, it says, Lord, I trust you. Or Jesus, I trust you. I saw just the other day, not very far from here, I was on a bike ride and uh, stopped for whatever reason. And I, I, I stopped to think about it. And I thought, at, at best... It's a great thing, right? Lord, I trust you. Yeah, I'm riding my bicycle next to semis going 65 miles an hour. Lord, I trust you. It's a good thing to say. And so I, I don't want to demean that or downplay that at all. Lord, I trust you. That's what we, we need to be doing is trusting Jesus. But I also wondered if it's an attempt to get people to sort of repeat after me like a least common denominator, uh, get people into heaven kind of thing. Because if I just drive by or ride by and I read it, Lord, I trust you. Some might think that that means a profession of faith. As long as I say those words, it means I am a Christian. And that wouldn't be a good idea because there's a lot more involved than just saying, Jesus, I trust you, like knowing who Jesus is, uh, knowing what he did. Knowing what he said, what he professed, what he claimed. And that makes me think about our text. We're in the life and ministry of Jesus in the 8th chapter of John where he's had a, a large following at times. There have been a lot of people following him. And even right now, there are a lot of people following Jesus. And, and he doesn't leave well enough alone. Okay, He wants to make sure that they know who he really is and who they really are and who God truly is and, and what it means to believe in him, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a Christian. And he just doesn't leave well enough alone. So it's kind of a shocker. Um, he wouldn't be a fan of the billboard if it's meant to be evangelistic. Lord Jesus, I trust you because there's, there's more involved. And you can read our passage very negatively and think, boy, Jesus just doesn't leave well enough alone. Or you can read it positively, and I'm going to try to encourage you to do that. Jesus doesn't leave well enough alone because it's not actually well enough. He cares so much that he's willing to push to make sure that we understand what a Christian is and what a Christian isn't. Because what a terrible thing it would be to think you're a Christian and to not be one. To think you know who Jesus is and to not really know who Jesus is and end up in the end believing in a fake Jesus, a faux Jesus. So I want to encourage you to read it in that way. You don't really need an outline for this morning. Uh, we're just going to experience Jesus making an awesome, awesome promise. And then he deals with all the fallout, all the pushback. Um, all the implications. So verses 31 to 34, again, if you're new to the Bible, you're new to Omaha Bible Church, uh, we love Jesus Christ. We love him because he loved us first. We're so thankful for what he's done, what he teaches. And so we take his word seriously. Um, 
because he's the one that sets us free. So we're going to dig in this morning uh, in John chapter 8, verses 30, 31 to 47, and hopefully you will, you will learn and enjoy and, and come to know Jesus or know him better. So in verse 30 from last time, it says, many believed in him. So that's about all we need to know right now. The, the immediate context is many are believing, but this has happened before. So it starts with a wonderful promise to those who are believing. Go ahead and look there with me, if you would, at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews, context is the many ones who are believing Jews, who had believed him, if you abide in my word, abide means continue, okay? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. I read that as very positive. Since chapter 2, there have been those who have not been truly disciples. And it's come up on chapter 2 and chapter 6 and other occasions. And he he gives them this great promise. If you abide in my word, okay, my word, my teaching regarding God, regarding heaven, regarding hell, regarding myself, regarding you, regarding how to have eternal life. He's been talking about it a ton. He says, if you abide in my word, if you continue in my word. You continue believing in me as I have spoken and as I have interpreted life and God for you. If you continue, you abide, then you can have this great assurance. You're truly my disciples. You you truly belong to me. Just by way of um, letting Scripture interpret Scripture, in verse 51, he says, if anyone keeps my word, similar kind of statement, He will never see death. So a true disciple never sees death. He means ultimate spiritual death separation from God. So this is meant to be super positive. Because if you're reading through the gospel account, you think these people profess faith and Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew it was in their hearts. Chapter 2, chapter 6, many of the disciples no longer followed him. I'm busy wondering if I'm these guys. How can I know? I don't want to be like those guys. Jesus says, if you continue, if you abide in my word, these gospel realities that I've taught, if you keep believing that I'm the one who will forgive you of your sins, then you are truly my disciple. You'll never see death, eternal life. Then he develops it further. The same theme. Look at verse 32 there, where, I mean, as if it doesn't get, as if it can't get better, but it does. Verse 32. And as a true disciple, you will know the truth. And truth is equated with his word. His word is truth. You'll know the truth. You'll know these things. Confident knowledge. Jesus, you'll know the truth about me. You'll know the truth about all these things I've been talking about. You will know the truth. Please notice he doesn't say you'll know a truth. He says you will know the truth. An important thing to say in an age where everyone supposedly has their own truth. No, you will know the truth. I would also want to say truth is knowable apparently. Not just noble. It's knowable. You will know the truth. Then, we'll come back to that. You will know the truth. The truth about God. The truth about yourself. The truth about me. The truth about reality. 
And it does something that nothing else can do. How about verse 32? You'll know the truth, great promise, and the truth will set you free. This is fantastic. This is astounding. You truly are my disciple, eternal life, possessor. You will know the truth. And by knowing the truth, you know the truth, it'll set you free. This is astounding. It will set you free. It will set you free. We know according to where he's going to go, it will set you free from enslavement to sin. We're not to that part yet, but for sure, when you say set free from what? Set free from enslavement to sin. But we could elaborate on that. Set free from false teachers. Right? Set free from legalism. Set free from the traditions of men and women that cause so many people to be in bondage, including these people. You'll be set free. Spiritual blindness. He's talked about that earlier. They'll be set free from that. They'll be set free from spiritual death. Excuse me. Spiritual death because they'll have spiritual life. I wrote down, they'll be set free from fake claims, fake saviors, fake promises, so-called sacred traditions. They'll be set free from those things and countless other troublers. This should leave us. I mean, this should have us hearing it, even though we're bystanders, going, yes, our freedom This is a freedom like I could never have. I'm going to be set free in Christ because if I'm trusting in Him and He is the way to eternal life, nobody else can meddle with my mind or my life because I've experienced true spiritual freedom. I've had the burden lifted. This is this is extraordinary. And we would expect these folks who have professed faith in Jesus to say, Yes! We're free finally! This is good news. This is the gospel kind of news. As a historical aside, right now, this year, we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And it's a good time for me to highlight to you that one of the major emphases is freedom. Okay? Because there's so much bondage involved when you don't have clear Bible teaching that came with the Protestant Reformation in the language of the people so that they could read it for themselves, okay? So that they could understand that that Jesus paid it all, as we would sing, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the work of Christ alone. We're free, okay? We celebrate this. This is a significant thing. Sometimes we think, oh, that serious theology of the reformers, oh, it's such bondage and it's so heavy and so weighty. No, so much of what was emphasized was no more human made up rules and regulations. If the Bible says it, we're going to go to the wall for it because actually that's where the freedom is. But don't you dare add an extra holiday even historically because that's going to put people in bondage because if it's a holiday, it's a holy day and that means they have to go to church. Or they suffer in purgatory. Protestant reformers said, we're getting rid of all the holidays. Not because they were grumpy, but because they didn't want you to be in bondage. You're free in Christ. Okay, I'm off on a tangent. Okay, I got to stop. Freedom is a big deal. Okay? 
But maybe it's not a big deal if you don't know you're enslaved. And these people Jesus is going to talk to, they don't know they're enslaved. And so they're not going to see Jesus as wonderful, beautiful Savior, magnificent one. Because they think they're free. But they're not free. They're so enslaved, it's up to their eyeballs and they, don't, they can't even see straight. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I do want to make just one kind of a side tangent note about truth and knowing truth. It's, it's not directly related, but it is related and it's related to our, to our world, the world you live in and the world I live in. Christianity has never taught that sinful people like you and like me can know the truth exhaustively or can know the truth perfectly in this life. Okay? Well, I shouldn't say Christianity is never taught. I don't think the Bible teaches that. Okay? We, we, we are always... Well, the Bible teaches progress, learning, growing, developing, discovery, spiritual growth. That's why we have teachers. Okay? So biblical Christianity, let's put it that way, uh, does not teach you can know the truth exhaustively, perfectly in this life. I don't think Jesus is teaching that. We got a little hung up on that in Christianity in what's called modernism. Okay? In the modern era, when the scientific method said, as long as we go, go through this certain scientific process, then we can come to every right conclusion. Okay? And some Christians made the mistake of, almost thinking they could know the truth exhaustively and perfectly in this life. Then history swings, and the church does what the culture does, and then we end up having postmodernism. Now we're in like post-postmodernism. I don't know what we're in. Post-toasties. But postmodernism would say you can't know anything. Okay? There, there, there's no such thing as absolute truth. And we're still dealing with that hangover. Okay? You can never know truth. Well, you don't want to say you can never know truth because if you can never know truth, Jesus is a liar. Okay? You will know the truth. The truth about God, the truth about Jesus, the truth about salvation. And knowing the truth, the truth will set you free. Okay? So... I don't want to be a modernist, and I don't want to be a postmodernist. I realize we grapple with both of them. In a sense, both of them are right, and both of them are wrong. We can learn from both of them. Okay? Stop clock is right twice a day. Biblical Christianity, you can know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're not saying that we've all arrived. Okay? We're not saying we don't need to learn anymore. Um, and that's more of the balanced perspective. So that's an aside, but it needs to be said, especially for you college students. Um, theory of knowledge, theory of knowing things. Um, we've made mistakes on both sides, even as Christians. Okay, that's an aside. Sorry about that. But please take Jesus' words to heart. I'm not constantly looking for the truth regarding salvation. If you're believing in Jesus, you've found the truth regarding salvation. Now grow and learn more about him and find out where you're wrong in your understanding, but you can know the truth. 
Little kids can understand the truth about Jesus well enough to be saved. Okay, did I say we're going to move on? I lied, sorry. Now we are, okay? So it's all positive. This is awesome and amazing and great, and we're meant to be encouraged. And then comes the less than positive response. A positive promise, number one. Number two, I said that wasn't going to outline, but number two, a less than positive response. Verse 33 says, they, they being those who had believed, answered him, we, I think we should put the emphasis there, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you, so the we and the you say, you will become free? Nerve found, nerve hit. Okay? That's what that is. How dare you? See, Jesus doesn't leave well enough alone because it's not well enough. They don't really understand who they are. They don't really understand who he is. So he says this to professing believers. And it makes them so mad it's not even funny. How dare you? We've never been enslaved to anyone. It's not who we are. We don't need to be free because we're already free. I wrote down, what about Egypt? What about Babylon? What about Greece? What about Rome? Now, I suppose they could say, but, but since we belong to the one true God, even though we were enslaved, we were actually ultimately free. But that doesn't even really make sense. What a grand statement. We've never been enslaved. Never mind the fact that when they celebrate the Passover, they're celebrating their delivery from enslavement. Or maybe it's because we've been set free from Egypt and God made great promises to us so we'll never be enslaved again. I I mean, I'm trying to give benefit of the doubt. It's just like, this doesn't make sense. They've been in bondage and they know what bondage is. They're in bondage right now to Rome as this is happening. Israel takes great pride in being free. And now they've heard Jesus tell a little bit more about himself, and it's really, really struck a chord and, make them up, and it makes them upset. Reminds me of one time when a, co- a young college student, UCLA student, when we lived in California, was part of a Bible study, and he, come to, he came to a point learning about Jesus. He didn't learn much. I think he came a couple times. He learned a little bit about Jesus, and he professed faith in Jesus. I met with him, I think, one time outside of the Bible study, and it went well. And then he never came back again. And I asked some of his classmates, I said, what happened? What happened? And they said, oh, you don't want him to come back. And I'm like, what do you mean? He is furious. He's been reading the Bible and the gospel accounts, and he is so mad. He is practically violent. It's disheartening. But kind of like these folks, they make a profession of faith and they don't really know what they're getting into. Jesus doesn't leave well enough alone. He wants to make sure people know really who he is. And it does lead to some people being offended. Okay, now Jesus is going to do a little kindergarten theology lesson. Okay? Kindergarten's important, but it's kindergarten. 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, earnestly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
That's kindergarten. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This is basic. This is basic 101, Old Testament, New Testament, and it's all-inclusive. It makes me think of Ephesians chapter 2. It's everyone, Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. It's universal. Therefore, the universal enslavement. Everyone is enslaved. I mean, there's only one person who's not enslaved. We learned about him in 8.28 when Jesus says, I always do the things that are pleasing to God. So there's only one person who's not enslaved to sin, and it's Jesus. Because there's only one person that doesn't sin, and it's Jesus. And you see where this is going. This is why they need, these Jewish people, need something better than their heritage or traditions. It's why you need something better than your heritage or your traditions, because we all are a bunch of lawbreakers. None of us loves God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. None of us loves our neighbor as ourselves. And therefore, we prove that we're all in spiritual shackles. We're all enslaved. We need someone who's not to come from the outside. That's going to be Jesus' whole point. This is not a new concept. I mean, think about Israel's history. Think about the temple. Sacrifices for what? So we can have a party? Maybe it's come to that. Sacrifices because of sin. Day of atonement. Yom Kippur on your calendar. Day of atonement because we are so guilty. We have to keep being reminded of this. That God has to, God has to provide atonement. I mean, this is like as obvious as the nose on their faces. Sin, 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 sin everywhere. Isn't it weird, though, how sometimes we talk about something a lot, we, we see it right in front of our faces a lot, uh, especially in religion, and it's like we, we totally do a disconnect. I mean, think about people who don't believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus who wear crosses. Or churches with big giant crosses and you talk to them about the work of Jesus on the cross and they will literally say they don't believe that. And you're like, what, 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 do, you, what do you mean you don't believe that? I, there's a huge cross outside. It's on your letterhead. You guys sang it in the hymns. What? Bizarro world and Superman's not here. And it's just like, just, just the weirdest thing in our religious traditions. We have never been enslaved to anyone. What? Are you kidding me? So Jesus does kindergarten theology, which is so helpful. So helpful. He tells him about the only place freedom is found. How about 35? The slave does not remain in the house forever. He's told them they're enslaved, in effect. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever. Now that at first puzzles me. I go, what? Slave does not remain in the house forever. The sun remains forever in the house. I think, he, I think this is what he's getting at. This is how it's commonly understood and I would agree. Slaves in the ancient world were to be released every seven years. That's good. There's a sense of freedom. But more often than not, the general rule is you're released from your slavery in a home because there's children and slaves in the same home. And if you're a slave, you're released every seven years. That's good. But guess what you're going to do next? 
you're going to be a slave in another home. And then slave in another home. Then slave in another home. And you're never part of the actual family. And therefore, let's read into this appropriately in light of our bigger context. You're never actually part of the family. You never have an inheritance and all of the blessings that would come with that. But here the contrast is the son remains forever. The son remains forever. He remains there. It's his. He's the rightful heir. He has the inheritance. There's no enslavement when it comes to you if you're the son. And we already know Jesus has been using son terminology throughout the gospel account. It's pretty obvious to all of us. He's talking about himself in the analogy. Freedom is only for sons. Inheritance is only for sons. Uh, Riches and wealth and safety and security and all of those great things are for those who are the children and in particular the son. And this is meant to point ultimately to himself, right? You want freedom? Yes, they want freedom. They need freedom. They need freedom that could come only by believing in the son, by being united to the son. Oh, earlier in the chapter, we learned about Jesus in chapter 8, where Jesus is even going to be set free from the grave because he and he alone is the one without sin. If you want that kind of freedom, you've got to turn to the Son. They need the Son. They're all enslaved. Therefore, look at verse 36. So if the Son sets you free... Ah, see, I wasn't just reading into it. 35 lowercase s because it's an illustration. 36 capital S because he's pointing to himself in the illustration. So if the Son sets you free, so if I set you free, you will be free. You will be free indeed. That's what we want. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from guilt, ultimately, in the end, freedom from its power. You'll be free. Not relative freedom every seven years to go back into slavery, and that's, by the way, how sin works. You are, you're done with one kind of certain sin, and then you're enslaved to another kind of sin. Oh, I used to do that, but now I'm just prideful. I don't do it anymore. I mean, whatever it is, you see? What we need is help from the outside to be free indeed. And only one rightfully can say and said, I have always done what is pleasing to the Father. Freedom is in Him. This is a whole lot of theology, by the way, right? Theology is the study of God and how God works. Isn't theology wonderful? Every single one of us in this room on our own, is enslaved. It's one sin after another, after another, after another. In fact, we have many masters. We don't want to be like these Jews who think they don't. Jesus is kind and gracious to give us a kindergarten lesson. Everyone who sins is enslaved to sin. So here we are, shackles, freedom in the Son, freedom in Christ. That's what you want. You want freedom, not in bondage to the next big thing. 
which isn't such a big thing. Freedom. Kind of feeling that Braveheart moment. I'm going I'm to use self-control. It's freedom. You're set free by Jesus. You're free indeed. We love freedom. You know, that, let, let all our freedom talk be a good illustration that it's built in us to want freedom. We want freedom from oppression. Our country wants freedom from oppression from the king, the queen. We want freedom of speech. Any all these freedoms we talk about, it's good to have freedom. Freedom is good. But let them all point to the fact that ultimate freedom, freedom indeed, is found only in the Son, not through other enslaved people. So awesome. Let's move on. Jesus now exposes what I'm going to call phony faith. 37 says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. I wrote in my margin. Naturally, that is. Because he's going to go on to say, you're not children of Abraham. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Read the Bible in context. I know that you're offspring of Abraham. Yeah, naturally, they're offspring of Abraham. They're Jews. Yet, you seek to kill me. Because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. What do they do? They kill. That's the association from verse 38. You do. Yeah, what do they do? Verse 37, they seek to kill. So here is this spiritual paternity test of sorts. You want to know whose father Who, who your father is, your actions are going to show who your father is. This is where you might want to duck and take shelter because it's going to get ugly. 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, see they really are not, not spiritually, you would be doing the works Abraham did. And I think that, and the commentators think, what Abraham did was not always perfect, by the way, what Abraham did, though, was when God spoke to Abraham, he listened. He received divine revelation appropriately. And here Jesus, the Son, shows up, the Son incarnate, and they don't receive divine revelation appropriately. So they're very, very, very different from Abraham. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, like in Genesis 12, like in Genesis 22. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth. How about that? They kill the one who teaches them the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. 41, you are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. How about that? Probably a dig at Jesus and his extraordinary birth. 
Oh, you want to point fingers, Jesus? Maybe not, but it seems like it. Isn't it interesting? Abraham's our father. Push, push, push. God is our father. We are monotheists. We are committed to the one true and living God, Yahweh. He is our God. How dare you say we have a different different father? How? See, right about now, in the religion of Pat-eanity, if this was my religion, I'd be thinking, Jesus, you should leave well enough alone. There's more converts. Right? This is, this is failing evangelism 101 class in Bible college. This is not how you close the deal. Okay? You know how some of these business leadership books try to use, you know, leadership principles from the life of Jesus. I'll bet this isn't in there. <laughs> Sales tactics from Jesus. You know, I'm sure there are books like that. This would not be the kind of passage you'd, you'd want to use. Right? What's causing, is there anything causing you to not move ahead today? You know, I had my Mont Blanc pen, my Parker pen. I knew just how to do it. I could read upside down. There's the contract. Good to go. Jesus is doing the opposite because he cares. So that people like you and people like me wouldn't sign up for a salvation that's not saving. He cares and so he plays mean guy when he needs to. Remember, too, Jesus doesn't act this way to, with everyone. Okay? Depending on who he's talking to, the, he, he was firm with the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, but he took a different approach with the Samaritan woman than he's taking with these folks. Okay? He was truthful with both of them, and he spoke about the truth with both of them. But this is a doozy. This is amazing. How about 42? Jesus said to them, if, notice, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Please notice some important things in what Jesus just said there. Again, their paternity is proven by their actions. If God were your father, you would love me. They say they're the children of God, and Jesus says, no, you're not. And the proof is what you do with his son. If you're thinking this is all very serious, I think you're thinking the right way. I mean, he's talking about huge things. He's talking about who is a child of God, who is not a child of God. He's talking about what religion is right and what religion isn't right. This would have made these folks very, very, very upset. Just like if you have a conversation with someone today and you use the same logic about who really belongs to God and who doesn't really belong to God, it's going to create some, some serious dander raising. Just imagine what it would have been like then. These are big things. Finish the sentence for me, if you would. It's kind of kindergarten again. If someone is truly a child of God, they will love... They will love Jesus. If someone is truly a child of God, they will love Jesus. 
as he has given his word to be abided in. He translates, he interprets. I mean, you, if you finish the sentence, some of you did, you just showed yourself to be so politically incorrect, it's not even funny. The three major Abrahamic faiths are not three. There's one. If you loved the Father, you would love me. If God were your Father, in other words, you will love me. See, now I'm failing sales class. But I would rather have you say, that didn't feel good on my toes. And have you grapple with who Jesus really is and what he really said. Then have you believing in a Jesus that is not Jesus. I mean, and do you even see in the context when they're, when they're saying Jesus to Jesus, we're not illegitimate. We didn't come from pornea. It's the word he uses. The logic is Jesus is turning it around on them and he's saying, but you did. Wow. They're so enslaved, verse 43, which oftentimes religious people who profess faith in Jesus are. Isn't that interesting? That's who he's talking to. He's not talking to the run of the mill atheists. He's talking to people who profess faith in Christ. They're so enslaved. 43 says, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. That's why. Reminds me of John chapter 3, reminds me of John chapter 6. How about 44? You. You are of your father, the devil. Oh, I've been waiting for that one, right? He just spells it out for him. You're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Remember again, these are radically committed, professing, would die for monotheists who say Yahweh, the one true self-existent creator God, is our God. And he says, your father is not that God. Your father is Diabolos. Your father is Satan. Your father is the devil. I'm glad I don't have to talk like that. They do kill him for this. But he speaks the truth. The truth that will set them free. Wow! This is truth. This is real. <laughs> this is amazing. So again, there's so many places where I want to go. It's possible to make a certain kind of profession and have Jesus say it's categorically 100% absolutely false. God is our father. The devil is your father. Now, we might want to quote America's favorite verse. 
Second favorite, judge not, lest you be judged. Jesus forgot about that here. No, he didn't. He uses that in Matthew 7 for something different. But Jesus makes the judgment. If you don't love me, Jesus says, your father is the devil, I don't care what you say. (sighs) Try that at the water cooler. Maybe this is why we hand out gospel according to John. Because <laughs> we don't want to say it. Wow. He's not calling us to be violent against unbelievers. He's not being violent against them, though they're violent words. But he's speaking the truth. If you don't love Jesus, your, your father's the devil, not God. I wasn't planning to get all wrapped up in this as far as we've gotten wrapped up in it. We should keep going. He was a murderer from the beginning, 44. See, this is why they're, they're progeny of the devil, because they're going to kill Jesus. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Okay. Let's keep going. Let's wrap this up. 45. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. How about that for perversity of spiritual blindness? Because I tell the truth about God, about humanity, about myself, you don't believe. You believed me before, and now I put a point on it, and now you don't believe. It's insane, it's irrational. It's unbelievable. How about 46? Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? That's rhetorical. Jesus knows the answer. He gives the answer now. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. There you go. Look at that for for reasoning. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. I hear Mark Twain. I haven't quoted Mark Twain for a long time. My favorite Mark Twain quote. It's not the stuff in the Bible that is unclear that bothers me. It's the stuff in the Bible that is clear that bothers me. Super clear. Let's end with this. Remember this. People don't reject Jesus because of lack of truth. People don't reject Jesus because he himself is untrue. They don't reject Jesus because he's irrational. They don't reject Jesus because of, and you can go on and on and on and on and on, evidences as we've seen. At the end of the day, they reject because of spiritual enslavement, spiritual blindness. And while they might say they're of God, they're not of God. It's why we need God's sovereign, powerful, invading Wonderful grace to, 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 to invade, to step in. John chapter 3, to cause us to be born again or it would never happen. 
this comes back to this is why we preach Christ to everyone. We preach Christ to everyone knowing, knowing that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's not up to us to sell them. Certainly our commander-in-chief, if you will, Jesus, didn't sell them. He even said the hard things. And what's amazing is a lot of these faux believers are going to walk away because they're not really trusting in Jesus. But what's amazing is it's going to turn the world upside down, the gospel is, because so many people will. Okay? We should be done for now. Oh, wow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for what feels like an assault. Um, Thank you for the fact that we can go back to our first verse and remember that it's not a bad thing that Jesus gives us freedom that is freedom indeed, but we do need to see that we need being freed because we are naturally enslaved. Thank you that we can know the truth, that the truth will set us free, that we don't have to be enslaved as these folks have been and that we can have great freedom in Christ. Thank you for the fact that you remind us of what Jesus did in his life, his death, his resurrection, um, even by eating and drinking. Thank you for these basic things that we do. Thank you for the fact that your spirit uh, is with us and among us. Uh, Please have him apply these truths, reminding us of our freedom, reminding us of what it means to be in Christ, and that we would leave here motivated, thankful, energized, and equipped. In Jesus' name, amen.